0: Caitlin Bloom, and welcome to Talk Therapy to Me, where we learn to practice self awareness and self care and meet our individual needs. No couch required. Hey, y'all, welcome back to Talk Therapy to Me with your host, Caitlin. So excited you've decided to join me again today. I wanted to do kind of a sharp veer to the right from our regularly scheduled programming and talk about what's going on with the holidays. Christmas is right around the corner and most of us spend a lot of time with family during December and the end of the year. Sometimes that can mean dealing with unpleasant people or just people you only see once or twice a year and you don't really go out of your way to spend more time with them than that. More often than not, conversations with these people are in those environments, come up, and with that, They usually involve difference in values, opinions, politics, or even religion. And I really wanted to talk about how to manage that. I think it can be difficult in any kind of holiday situation because, as I said, being with family or people you don't really see that often, it can make you revert back to the role you were assigned while growing up. I'm going to kind of break that down a little bit especially between healthy versus unhealthy family roles. So it would be functional versus dysfunctional families. In healthy, functional families, roles are generally fluid. They change over time, and they are age and developmentally appropriate. In dysfunctional families, the roles are much more rigid. In a healthy family, members are integrated, and various parts may surface, at different times, with no threat to the family system. That's the biggest thing I want you all to remember. Basically, like you see a lack, you step into that role, and everyone kind of does that. It's a pretty well-oiled machine, if you will. And each role in a healthy family are parts of every person, as I mentioned. So individual members, especially children, are allowed to grow develop and integrate these roles in their personalities helping them become fully functional adults complete set of skills that will just continue to help them develop during their independent adult life and that's another thing that I want you to remember about functional families is that independence piece when a child feels like they can be out on their own and do well without constantly seeking help or, you know, assistance, all of that kind of stuff, then they are able to function well on their own. Healthy families in general, they, again, retain that functionality when individual members quote-unquote leave the family system Either by moving out, if there's divorce, whatever, start their own families, or even when there's a death. So any kind of pivotal role in the family can be absorbed with the remaining family unit. And everyone is still able to function independently and still work together really well. In dysfunctional families, on the flip side... The roles are almost a form of continuity or stability of the family system, stifling the development of primarily children, and even though one or more parents may be stifled as well. So most of what this looks like is that like family members, individual family members, really have to submerge and bury parts of their personalities and take on a role. Of whatever they're assigned or what they see a need is so they are less of a threat to the family system because it cannot function unless people stay in their roles and they have to stay and be kept in place. In the case of a dysfunctional family the roles are characterized as codependent. Each member as I said takes a role and or is assigned one and that makes up the whole of the family. So rather than a family of fully yet age-appropriate people, the family system gears to create just one, the family itself. So I'm going to break that down a little bit and really clarify that, again, the difference between a functional family versus a dysfunctional is that if an individual member is not there, the others are able to still function well without them. And dysfunctional family systems, when an individual member leaves, often creates a hole in the existing system. When an individual member discards the taken or assigned role, it threatens the family stability such as it is, which is not very stable as there is no one capable of fulfilling or even willing to fulfill that role. This is why dysfunctional families are often so enmeshed. The system needs all members to function as a unit, not as a community. Ideally, adult individuals, as I mentioned before, can fulfill all of these roles for themselves and are not dependent on others for either of those. Though um interdependent relationships will often like figure themselves out because again just to really nail it in you see a need, you step in, do it, and someone else does the same thing. So it's just fluid. I wanted to kind of get into a few of the roles of a dysfunctional family just to keep them in mind. And then how I have some personal stories and examples of what we can do during the holidays when we're with family to really solidify those boundaries, especially when we feel like we have to revert back to a role. So number one is a scapegoat. Most of the time a scapegoat will feel frustrated, rejected, unlovable, and this looks like getting into arguments, acting out, any kind of way to get parental attention they're often seen as like the rebellious child. Another number two is caretaker. So, oftentimes internally, they feel overwhelmed, on edge, very anxious. And their external behavior is absorbing and attempting to resolve the family issues. So, they take on the role of like, I'm going to take care of everyone. Number three is hero. So a lot of times they feel similarly to the caretaker where they feel overwhelmed, anxious, and very pressured. Very pressured to perform. And with that in mind, their behavior usually looks like a perfectionist, very responsible, and an overachiever. Number four is a mascot. They may feel pressure, anxiety, feel overwhelmed. A lot of these kind of overlap. They just have different behaviors. The behavior of a mascot is usually someone who uses humor and jokes to distract from the family's core issues. The fifth role is the role of an addict or someone who's feeling like unlovable and rejected by family overall. Most of the time, they behavior-wise, use addiction as a means to cope and distract from the family's core issues. And last but not least, of course, is the lost child. They may feel rejected, neglected, and experience a lot of depression and loneliness. And most of the time what this behavior looks like is they tend to blend in, don't make a scene, remain calm, and collected. While a particular family role can feel challenging to separate yourself from, it is possible to work towards a healthier relationship with yourself and with others. This is where boundaries come into play. So I kind of wanted to give a little bit of background info on the difference between functional versus dysfunctional families and what those roles in dysfunctional families look like before I really dug into boundaries within that. As I said before, it can be really difficult to create boundaries, especially with family, since it is really natural to step into the role you've always been placed in or you've always been assigned. I'll give you an example, just in general, from my own life. I have had a family member, in, ge- in general, discussing some political things. I honestly could not tell you what the actual topic of conversation was. However, I knew he was looking for a reason to rile me and others up in order to engage with him. In the past, I would have done that. I would have immediately stepped in, got defensive, was like, no, this is it. This is the quote-unquote correct way of thinking, which is really not a productive conversation. And there were many times where I would become part of this cyclical argument, defensive conversation, and... Both of us would end up escalating, yelling, or honestly even using hurtful language because of a lack of understanding that lingered between us. However, once I was able to spend some time away, really reflect, I understood that I didn't need to engage in that conversation. I told myself it didn't matter because we are both sold on our own values and opinions. And that doesn't mean their opinion doesn't matter and that I don't value it. It just means that sometimes there are those people you cannot engage with in a productive conversation. It's okay to be aware of that. I realized that in that particular moment, in that moment of recognition of, wow, I really don't want to get involved in this, I knew that if I engaged, I would end the night on a very sour note. I didn't want to, frankly, because I wanted to have a good time. Who doesn't want to have a good time? So instead of engaging him in that conversation that I knew would end up in an argument or just a heated discussion, I looked at him square in the eyes and said, Wow, that's a really good point. Thank you for sharing that. And then I got up and walked away. And I knew that that kind of understanding, because I wasn't dismissing him, I said, like, I heard you. That's a really good point. Thank you. And I didn't want to continue the conversation. He was so flabbergasted and didn't really know what to do because I didn't give him anything to latch on to. So there was nothing holding the conversation together. And it was really important for me because... It was a way that I had set my own boundaries in that moment and really just said, like, yeah, no, I'm not doing this. And if you would like to keep talking, sure. However, I don't have to be here for that. It's so, so important to check in with your energy when a conversation is looming in the background or you're really familiar with someone. There are always going to be people who try and roll you up. They know you really well. know kind of how to push your buttons and you have to ask yourself a couple of questions okay one do I have the energy for this conversation am I even into it two what do I hope to gain from it and three what will I gain from it knowing this person as I do I think those are very very good questions to kind of ask yourselves before you engage or as you are like in the moment And something I harp on, as you all know, is self-awareness. So, of course, there might be moments where you step back into that familiar pattern, all of that kind of stuff, and it's okay to keep practicing this until it gets easier. With all of that said, I want to clarify something. I am in no way suggesting that you cannot stand up for your beliefs or values, especially when a family member or someone you're close with kind of rubs you the wrong way, sort of way. I think it's perfectly appropriate to say what you will not discuss, what you're not okay with, all of that kind of thing. And really just clarifying that for people. If they don't respect those boundaries and wishes, you are within your full rights and responsibilities to step away or leave. You do not owe someone your ear when they're not respecting your boundaries. So overall, I kind of want to just mesh all of that together in five main points and five main things to remember, take away from this conversation we've had. One is identify your needs. Understand your limits, triggers, and level of comfort around certain people and in certain environment. Do what's best for you. Two... Prepare for pushback. Once you start setting boundaries with people, especially family, especially with the people who have assigned a particular role for you or you've taken on any of the ones I mentioned in that dysfunctional family role list, they're going to push back. They're going to be confused as to why you're quote-unquote acting differently. Remember, as I said, it's important for people to respect the boundaries that you set Because if they don't, it's further confirmation that those boundaries are absolutely needed. Three, clearly communicate your boundaries. As I mentioned earlier, tell your family something like, I won't be discussing this when I come over. I will leave if you do. You don't even owe any further explanation unless you feel comfortable sharing that with them. They should respect your communicated boundaries regardless. Four is be consistent with your boundaries. When you set one, follow through with it. If you don't maintain them, others will be less likely to do so. And if you give them any kind of like bend, they will take that. So you need to respect your own boundaries for others to take them seriously. It's important to hold yourself accountable and they will see you doing that, recognize it, and hold themselves accountable, hopefully. And if not, you can. And that will help you maintain those consistent boundaries. Five is, honestly, this is the most important one. Excuse yourself if you need to. As I mentioned in my specific example of what I've experienced at past holiday functions, I understood how the conversation was going to go based on previous experience. You have to decide in the moment what is worth your energy and what you're willing to do. If someone is crossing your boundaries over and over, it's okay to get up and leave. You don't have to sit there and take it. Remember that your needs are just as important and deserve to be valued. With all of that said, I hope that this was helpful as you begin to make plans for the holidays, for spending time with family and old friends. I wanted to say thanks again for listening to Talk Therapy to Me with your host, Caitlin. Talk to you next time.